Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Rolling along, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests on the Goodyear Hotline, including the legend, the one, the only, Dr. J. Julius Irving, will join us live here in a half an hour. One of my favorite memories um, over the years of, of being here on ESPN Radio, hosting Mike and Mike. Hembo, this would have been way before your time with us, and, and Baba, yours as well. It was during the presidential election of 2008. This shows you how long ago this was and how different the world was. We interviewed both then-Senator Obama and Senator McCain, who were running for president that year. And there, were a lot of, there was a lot of attention on us doing these interviews for a lot of obvious reasons. And we wanted to make sure that it was as completely non-biased in either direction as we could do. So we made the decision we would, we would put them both on at, 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 they weren't on together, but that we would do it at the same time in the show, that we would keep them as close as we could to the same exact amount of time, and that we would ask the exact same questions. This was, you know, this is 13 years ago. And so we did that, and both interviews were great. They were both great, and they're both huge sports fans. But what I remember most vividly is we asked them each, who was your favorite athlete growing up? John McCain said Ted Williams, and Barack Obama said... Julius Irving. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, boy, there's actually something interesting in that. Did you see the generational difference? Ted Williams is my father's generation, and Dr. J is mine. And for whatever that's worth, and that's probably the reason Obama won, I, I'd like to think is probably a, a direct result of that answer to that question. But one way or another, Dr. J will join me. And Hembo has got me a Dr. J trivia question. Hit me. Greeny, Julius Irving is one of two players to score at least 10,000 points in both the ABA and the NBA. I'm asking you to name the other. Okay. It's one of two people. What year? The merger was like 76 or mm-hmm. 7. 76. So then it's not going to be David Thompson because he wouldn't have played nearly long enough in the ABA. It's got to be someone who was in the ABA a long time. I'm going to say Dan Issel. Dan Issel is correct. There we go. See, that's very, that's just, that's, very That's what impressive. I'm about. That's what I do. That's what I do. I show up here and I answer questions about things that happen in sports in 1974. That's what I do. I thought you were going to guess Artis Gilmore. That, no. That's who I thought you were going to I wouldn't to guess. have even thought of him. I really? certainly remember Gilmore in the ABA. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not as old as you think I am. I, I, don't, I did not watch. I only saw the ABA maybe a year or two. I remember the red, white, and blue ball. I certainly remember Dr. J uh, on the then New York Nets. Right. Um, and a few other things. I don't really remember the ABA that well. Gilmore scored almost 10,000 points in the ABA. But, but, he, 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 I thought, would be your guess. I, I do rem- I remember him more as a bull. I remember our artist Gilmore as a bull more than I remember him. And what was he on the Spurs? Is that was, what team was he on in the ABA? Gilmore was on Kentucky, the Kentucky, oh, the Kentucky Colonels. Colonels, coached by Larry Brown. At yeah, one point. yeah, Larry Brown came for the ABA. The ABA was a fun league, and it is what it is. Anyway, Doctor J coming up. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Okay, we just had a caller airing a grievance about the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott and their mishandling of the situation. And to illustrate that, I want you to hear Ed Werder, who was as close to that as anybody in the media is, was on KJZ yesterday, and this is what he said he is hearing 
Dak Prescott wants in a deal from the Cowboys. The numbers I hear for Dak are he's going to want three years and $40 million average. So $120 million for three years. Remember, the breakdown ultimately was over the length of the contract. Dak wanted four years. The Cowboys refused to offer anything less than five. And to me, that was the biggest mistake in the whole thing at the very end was how do they not see four years of control over Dak Prescott being better than having one year of control over Dak Prescott? And then they pay him this enormous amount, $34 million to play on the franchise tag and they don't even get value out of that because he gets hurt for the first time in his career and only plays five games. And so what's going to wind up happening, if indeed he plays this season on the franchise tag, is they're going to pay him $69 million to play football over a two-year stretch, which will be the highest number, the highest figure in NFL history. No player has ever made more money in two years, and every penny of it counts against the cap. That's it. That's this it. This is a salary cap. Every penny how could you screw this up this badly? I, I just don't get it. Like, they, they've, they've made such a mockery of this situation. They have to trade him. They have no choice. Because you're going to wind up on a bad team. This is a bad team. I know they think they're a Super Bowl team. They went out and hired a coach because he had Super Bowl experience and drafted a wide receiver in the first round. They have the worst defense ever. And their great offensive line has aged out. They're terrible. They need to start over. You're going to pay a guy as good as he is, and I think Dak is great. You're going to pay him $69 million over two seasons, every penny of it against the cap, and then he's going to walk away, and you're going to get nothing. So you can't have screwed this thing up worse. So however it is, however they say some stories are overplayed, underplayed, however big a deal people are making of this, it's not big enough. You can't screw anything up worse than they've screwed this up. So they need to trade him. And Mike Tannenbaum yesterday with me on Get Up had the solution to the problem. This is what he said they should do. Trade him to the Bears for three first-round picks. You don't think Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace would give up three first-round picks to have a young franchise quarterback in Dak Prescott? So I agree with you. The best way for them to cut their losses today is to try to get three ones for Dak and start all over again because you've already you have an aging running back in Zeke Elliott, that's getting paid too much. You've lost good young players, so you might as well start over now. You can't win with Andy Dalton. I think it's a great idea. All right, so, so that's the bottom line of it. Now, he mentioned the Bears. Here's the thing. If you look at the three big quarterbacks whose situations we talk about daily, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, and Dak Prescott, in no order. I'm saying those, those guys in no order. In order of goodness, it goes Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. Deshaun and Dak have something Carson Wentz doesn't. They have control over their situation. Carson Wentz only has indirect control, which is to say he can send signals out there. I don't want to be traded here. I don't want to be traded there. But at the end of the day, he's under contract and he has no no trade clause. So if he gets traded, let's just say for the sake of argument, he doesn't want to go to Chicago. He has no choice if he wants to get paid to play professional football, but to show up in Chicago and play. Neither Dak nor Deshaun have that situation. Deshaun has an actual no-trade clause. You're not getting traded anywhere he doesn't want to go to. And Dak has the equivalent of a no-trade clause because anyone, no one is going to trade an enormous amount for him if they don't know they can then re-sign him. You're not going to sign and trade. You're not going to trade three draft picks to get that one year of Dak Prescott. You need to know he's going to sign with you long-term. So Dak, while not having a no-trade clause in his contract, might as well. So those are the differences in the situations that we are looking at right now. And we'll see. I, don't, I think that all three of them will play out. I think in the end, the Cowboys are going to wind up being too stubborn to do it, and they will just keep Dak there, and he will play on the franchise tag, 
And that's what's going to happen. That's what I, if you're asking me to bet, that's what I would bet will happen. It's not the right thing to do, but that's what I think will happen. I think eventually Deshaun's going to get traded, but I think that's going to take a very long time. And I do think in the end, Wentz is going to get what he wants. I think he will find his way to Indy. But obviously, I'm, I'm not sure of that. And that would leave the Bears kind of holding the bag, and I'm not sure exactly what direction they would turn. That's not a spot you want to draft a quarterback. The coach is getting fired. I mean, if they, they have a bad first six weeks, the, the, the coach is basically a dead man walking. You don't want that. You do not want to start that over again with a rookie. So they're going to have to figure something else out. So that's where we are. The great Dr. J is on the way. And today's scoop is an error in judgment so startling, it actually makes me rethink the future of an entire franchise. And you'll hear what it is next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. The great Dr. J, Julia, serving on the Goodyear Hotline, coming up shortly. Hambo's here, Bubba's here, Nuno is here. Right now, The Scoop. The Scoop. Mary Kay Cabot is an excellent reporter in Cleveland. She covers the Browns, and she just tweeted within the last hour, J.J. Watt is seriously considering the Browns as one of his options because they have a lot of what he wants, sources tell Cleveland.com. Hmm. That is an interesting one to me. Why do you think of that, Mr. Hembo? You know, the 21st-ranked defense in the, in the NFL last year. We still have J.J. Watt graded as a top-10 player at his position. Uh, pair him with Miles Garrett, and that front's awfully scary. You know, J.J. Watt could become a difference-making guy. He winds up in Kansas City, which is something that Marcus brought up on the TV show today. That could be an interesting one. You know, he, he's at a stage of his life where you would think – Sometimes we use the phrase ring chasing as though it's uh, insulting or it's a bad thing. Nothing wrong with it. He's made all the money in the world. He's been a great player. He's going to the Hall of Fame. The one thing he hasn't done is win. So I have zero issue with him trying to find a place he can go in. In fact, it's what we should always want our athletes to do. We who sit here and complain about all the money these guys get paid, <laughs> we, they should want to win. That's, the, that's what we would ask them to want more than anything. So I have zero issue with it. If he goes to Cleveland, that could make a big difference. That is a really good football team. Meanwhile, I wanted to just say a quick word about this. The whole Chris Doyle fiasco in Jacksonville. I don't know any better word to use to describe it. I'm stunned by the mishandling of that by Urban Meyer. I have no idea what the lasting ramifications of it will be, but it looks, among other things, awful, sloppy, tone-deaf, reckless, careless, all of those the opposite of what it takes to succeed. 
So I'm really not 100% sure I understand how this mistake was made. And if I'm Urban's boss, Shad Khan, I'd like to know how it happened, why it happened, and why no one thought to say, hey, coach, this might be a bad idea. And by the way, knowing the guy 20 years makes it worse, not better. So this is less a conversation about the morality of it, which I think has been covered well, and I certainly share it. But it is a conversation about the decision to to bring this guy into the organization and think nothing would come of it. Like, that's a misjudgment, a miscalculation that is so significant that when I gave you the tease, I said to you, it makes me rethink an entire franchise. Like, that makes me think Urban Meyer doesn't get it. Now, maybe he'll figure it out. But here's the reality. College coaches, particularly football coaches, and a very small select few basketball coaches in just the right place are overwhelmingly the most powerful people in the world in which they live. They run everything, not just the football program, not just the university. They run the town they live in. They, they, they have connections that you couldn't even imagine, up to and including in police stations and all that kind of stuff. And the jump from the college level to the pro level, part of it is the understanding that that's not the case. When you are the coach of any NFL team, pick the most glamorous and important NFL team, not the least. But whether you're the coach of the Dallas Cowboys or the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Green Bay Packers or the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're not the most important person in Jacksonville. Not even close. And you're not going to be able to do just whatever you want and bully anyone who tries to get in your way. And here's the thing. I know Urban a little, not well, but I consider him to be an intelligent man. I've, I've been around him enough. He worked here at ESPN for a little while between coaching jobs, and I've just been around him. He's a smart guy. How do you miss that? Like, how do you not know that's going to be a problem? When they made the hire, my first reaction was like everyone else's, extraordinary surprise. But it seemed to me a foregone conclusion that they had foreseen it was going to be an issue and were prepared to respond. The fact that they seemed completely blindsided by the way it was received, so much so that a day later they just couldn't take the heat of it anymore, that's jarring. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by that. How do you not see that coming? It makes me believe that the person in charge is so accustomed to always just having whatever he wants that it never occurred to him he couldn't just do this if he wanted to. And that's that's not a good sign. Now, intelligent people adapt and they learn from mistakes and all of that. And I'm not suggesting this is going to ruin them going forward. But boy, this was a terrible start. I mean, as the first really big, huge public... From the moment they hired Urban Meyer, this is the first time anyone has talked about them. There's nothing to talk about because we all know who they're going to draft. And then Lawrence will get there and we'll see what happens. But this was just a disaster of a beginning. And it it is such a self-inflicted wound. I I don't even know what exactly more than that to say about it. And I'm really surprised that they were not prepared for that. You know, and I asked Tannenbaum about it when we were in a meeting the other day. Mike Tannenbaum, who's a GM, I said... Now, where's the owner in something like that? And he said, the owner, when you hire a guy like Urban Meyer, you basically say to him, listen, don't go over the budget and don't violate the United States Constitution. (laughs) And outside of that, go ahead and you win games. That's your job. And so maybe that's what happened. And everyone just got out of the way. But where are the checks and balances? Like, 
Unlimited power is not a good thing. What, what is it about uh, absolute power corrupting absolutely or whatever the expression is? And I've said this many times before. The worst thing you can do in your life, in any field or endeavor, in anything in your life, the biggest mistake you can make is to exclusively surround yourself with people who will just capitulate to you, who will just, if you're a, a powerful person, and I, I, we all have our own places in, where we are and are not the ones in f- positions of authority. I, I am, at this stage of my life, I have a little bit of that at work. And if you don't surround yourself with people who will tell you when you're out of your mind, like people will just tell you, just to use me as an example, Greeny, stop, you're wrong. We can't do that or we're not doing that or that would be a mistake. You got to have people like that around you. And if you don't, you're absolutely guaranteed to fail because no one is that smart. No one gets everything right. So this to me was a very bad sign. It was as, as poorly handled. The fact that they were unprepared to deal with the fallout suggests to me they didn't expect it. And to not see that coming, I think, is startling. So that is where that situation is. We will change the tone in only the best possible way. If I had to name the most beloved athletes in the United States in my youth across the country, the first name I would get to is the name of the man who will join me live next. Don't miss it on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you, coming to you live, as always, from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17 in New York City. And it is my delight and privilege at any time I get the chance to introduce this man. I said before the break... And in my childhood, in my youth, he may have been the most beloved athlete in the United States. And pretty much everyone who has played basketball since he did idolizes him. The one, the only, Dr. J, Julia Serving, is with me here on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Dr. J. 
Good morning, Greeny. How are you today? Well, listen, if you had told me when I was a kid that someday I would say good morning to you and you would call me Greeny, I would have said, <laughs> I'm going to have the best life of anybody <laughs> in the world. So there we go. You know, I told the story earlier, by the way, about you today that I don't know if, if I ever had a chance to tell you, but I'm sure you haven't heard. In 2008, when I was hosting Mike and Mike, we had the two presidential candidates at the time, then Senator Obama and Senator McCain on the show. And we, we made it. We didn't want to show any favoritism. So we asked them all the same questions. And one of the questions we asked was, who was your favorite athlete growing up? And Senator McCain said Ted Williams. And then Senator Obama said you, Julia Serving. Have you ever had that conversation with him? I have. You know, I've had the, the privilege. Uh, it was actually in 2016. And uh, my family and I and my attorney and, and uh, my nephew uh, visited President Obama uh, in September of 20, 2016. And, uh, you know, I presented him with a, a, uh, a signed Converse shoe, which he, which he, which he enjoyed receiving. Uh-huh. And, and uh, you know, and he presented me with uh, the story of being uh, one of his heroes uh, when he was growing up. And that touched me in a very special way because I, you know, it's not something, you know, people just talk about every day. And uh, it's not something that that happens to, you know, uh, a person regarding a president of the United States, especially one, you know, who had, uh, who had eight years in office and did the bang up job that he did. Yeah, it's got to be something. I mean, it's one thing for Michael Jordan to say he grew up idolizing you. It's another thing when the president of the United States <laughs> says I grew up idolizing you. The great Dr. J is with me. All right, so they put a bunch of stats up here for me, and, and, and most of them I don't need. So the 1983 Sixers, we'll get to today's game in a minute, but I like talking to guys like you about when you played. So the 1983 okay. Philadelphia 76ers, legendarily known as the Fo-Fo-Fo Sixers, with you and Moses mm-hmm. and Mo Cheeks and... Ivoroni and Andrew Tony and Bobby Jones and on and on. I have said many times is not remembered enough because for one season, I thought you were the best team I ever saw. And people, because the Celtics and the Lakers at that time, and then the Bulls a generation later won multiple titles. When people talk about the best teams, they don't tend to mention that. But for one, would you take your chances with that team for any one season against any team that has ever been assembled? Well, of course I would. Um, you know, I mean, I, I grew up uh, idolizing the guys who, who came before me. Uh, you know, Bill Russell and 11 championships in, in 13 years. Uh, phenomenal. Uh, Oscar Robertson, the big O, you know, even though he only had the, the one championship in Milwaukee when he was playing with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or whatever, still pound for pound probably probably the best of the best mm. and uh you know jerry west uh elgin baylor uh will chamberlain you know I, I i'm never going to uh really put anybody ahead of those guys when i pick my all-time team i mean you know i, I love watching lebron and magic and larry bird and kareem and moses but you know when i was 15 years old i said it's west baylor Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and Will Chamberlain. Hmm. And, you know, next week I'll be 71. That's still my team. That's my first <laughs> team. 
everybody else starts with becoming the six man and, and six through 10 and 11 through 15. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm one of those guys, one of those principal guys, you know, your principles guide you and your values. So I, so I value that team uh, more than, more than any other. And, um, you know, that's an all-star team when it comes to uh, teams that got out there and, and won the championship. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to beat 12 and one. You know, I mean, it was four, 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 and one loss uh, to Milwaukee, which was our nemesis, and we, we, we're not that mad at that situation. <laughs> but nobody's going to beat twelve and one. I think the Bulls were sixteen and two, and um, there are probably a, f- a few others who have lost three games or four games or whatever. But you know, until somebody beats twelve and one, they should put us in the number one spot. You guys are awfully good. The doctor is with me, Julia Serving. Let me ask you this. When we talk about great players now, a big part of the conversation is how many rings they have, how many championships. That is such a huge part of the way we identify and uh, judge, value the greatness of players. What do you think of using that as part of the evaluation of a player's greatness? Do you think it's the championship should be as important as they seem to have become when we evaluate a player's greatness? Well, I think ultimately, you know, you have to have the crowning moment, you know, where you're a champion. As far as champion multiple times being the determining factor uh, in team sport, you know, it's a little different than golf and and tennis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, You know, in golf, you can win, you can win a major tournament and it takes you Thursday to Sunday to win a major tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and basketball, you know, it takes you September to June uh, to, to claim uh, the major. And then you need 11 other guys who are in sync with you, you know, who make it, you know, who make it a reality. Uh, so I think, you know, in team sports, you know, we are, we are groomed and we're trained and, and we're, you know, we're focused on the ultimate prize. Uh, used to be a, a lot more so back in the day than now. I mean, I see, I see the celebration now, and you know, I remember. Yeah, I might do something spectacular, but I wouldn't dare uh, celebrate until riding the bus back to school mm-hmm. if we won the game. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't win the game, you just get on the bus and shut up. <laughs> it's like. All right, we got practice. <laughs> we got practice when we get back, or we got practice the next day, or whatever. There was no uh, premature uh, celebrations, and now there's celebrations. I mean, every play is just like you know doing something that you know you're trained to do. You work so hard uh, to be able to do, and then when you do it, you know you got to let out this this growl or this uh, groan or bump your chest, or jump up on the scars table, mm-hmm. wave your fists and whatever. So, you know, I, I guess it's every, it's counting every second of every day and, you know, letting it work for you in terms of how it affects your emotions uh, or whatever. So, you know, guys are winning championship every week, <laughs> you know, based, based on some of, some of the reactions and some of the highlights. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old school and, you know, maybe I'm hating a little bit or whatever, cause I probably had a lot of celebratory moments that, you know, I just, just didn't celebrate cause it wasn't part of my, my DNA. And the ultimate goal was to, 
you know, win the league title, win the division title, win the championship. So, you know, my experience is there uh, with the ABA and the two championships over there and then the chase for the, the title in, in Philly, which was basically a seven-year chase. I mean, we went to the to play. We played for the championship uh, four times in seven years. So just getting there four times is quite an accomplishment. Makes it sound a little bit like the Buffalo Bills, but mm-hmm. but getting there uh, in year seven was, you know, ultimately uh, something that if it hadn't happened, uh, I think I might be viewed a little differently, but not a whole lot differently, uh, because you know, guys know how to market themselves and sell themselves these days. So guys, you know, guys without rings are doing doing very well, and have made that transition from player to uh, former player, and and you can do it. So. Uh, and the other side of the coin is, you know, you guys, you have guys with six or seven rings who ne- probably never played in an all-star game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of Robert Horry in that sense, uh, you know, a great ring collector and great uh, factor on uh, winning teams uh, uh, multiple times. Um, probably not on the ballot for the Hall of Fame unless they decide, well, we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame because you got a lot of rings. The great Dr. J is with me here, Julia Serving. And I'm just looking back at your statistics. Your final year in the NBA was your age 36 season. And I certainly remember that season for you. LeBron James is 36 right now and and is playing at or at least near the very best he ever has. So what do you think of that? When you see these athletes that are able to play, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with all sorts of things, nutrition and, and whatever else that is. But what do you make of a guy like LeBron in particular who is doing what he is doing at the age of 36? Um, I, I, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a part of uh, the original plan uh, in terms of coming out of high school um, and knowing that, you know, this is going to be uh, the statement for his life. You know, playing basketball, I'm going to be a professional basketball player and I'm going to be out there as long as I can be there and uh, I'm going to accomplish as much as I uh, can accomplish. You know, when I came out of high school, I was trying to be a, a student athlete at the University of, of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I grew three inches and gained 30 pounds uh, while in college. And, and my career path uh, certainly changed from, you know, wanting to study business and go to work in some, some firm in New York. To uh, becoming a professional athlete and hoping that I can go there, I can play there for ten years, you know. And, and so the, the mindset uh, totally different uh, during that time when I got to ten years. I was like, man, that went fast, <laughs> you know. So you know, I signed a new deal, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm at thirteen years, uh, fourteen years, and the next thing I know, I'm at sixteen years, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm figuring I need to. Uh, figure out what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I haven't, uh, I haven't made enough. I, you know, during the course of my uh, 16 years, I probably, you know, came close to making $16 million hmm. or whatever. And, and, you know, spent two thirds of that in the lifestyle. And, and so suddenly the net takeaway was, all right, you know, I got about four to, to, to start my life with. 
or whatever. He's going to have like 400. Yeah, more than that. When he's finished. And like you said, more than that. And and also, uh, it, it's not over until he says it's over. And, you know, you look at Tom Brady's accomplishments in, in football. Guys are going well into their 40s. Uh, and, and playing at a, at a very high level, the highest level uh, possible. And in team sport, you can do that. Individual sports is, is a lot tougher. And generationally speaking, it's a lot tougher. You know, you look at when Larry Bird finished, and, you know, he was he was in his uh, early 30s. Yeah. Michael Jordan was in his early 30s or whatever. So the norm is, you know, especially for the previous generations, uh, to finish – you know, in your in the early to middle thirties, uh, so LeBron is a phenomenon, and I, I think I think he I think he put a fire under Carmelo Anthony because he said we came in together. And, you know, mm-hmm. shoot, I'm, I'm I'm hobbling up and down the court, and this guy's <laughs> you know in the ballots for MVP. So he tightened up his game and you know got on a nice program, and now I see he's he's playing better. So uh, yeah, LeBron is is the new model. Dr. J, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. A happy early birthday to you, as you mentioned. This is coming up next week. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. We'll check in again soon. Be well. Thank you, Greeny. All right. talking to you. Take, Take care. care. All that, right. It's the great Dr. J, Julius Irving. It is difficult to explain, and I try and tell this to my kids all the time. It's difficult to explain the difference between being incredibly famous when he was incredibly famous and being incredibly famous now. Because we live in a world now where becoming incredibly famous is, A, much easier than it used to be, and as a consequence, B, much more commonplace. There are a ton of very famous people right now, and, it, and it's delineated. Like, you can, become, you can become really famous and have a lot of people not know who you are, um, and that's what constitutes famous now. Julius Irving was famous at a time when almost no one was famous. Like, to be famous, you had to have really accomplished something spectacular. The generation I grew up in, and certainly he's older than I, he's much older than I am, the generation he grew up in, your dream in life was to accomplish something great so you could become famous. It is sort of turned around now. The dream is sort of just to become famous. It doesn't really make any difference whether you accomplish anything or not. On balance, that's not necessarily a good thing. Having said that, I have been looking forward all morning long to bringing you this. The list is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List. All right, today's Green List is in honor of our friend Adam Sandler. So today is the 25th anniversary of the release of the movie Happy Gilmore. Now, Happy Gilmore is a genuinely great and hysterical movie. And we did a ton with Adam over the years on Mike and Mike and continue to because he's a great sports guy and just a great guy in general. And Happy Gilmore, would you say that is... Let me bring Bubba into this. I feel like he's a better person. Hambo, Much. do you even know who Adam Sandler oh, is? Oh, of course. Okay. Great hockey player. Great. <laughs> Bubba, what is your favorite Adam Sandler movie? Um, yeah, I mean, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, both great. I guess it's a toss-up. They're both awesome. Yeah, I, I, so, so, so Happy Gilmore, the 25th anniversary of the release of that movie is today. And it got us to thinking, what are the greatest golf comedy movies ever made? And so we run down the top five characters today, top five characters in golf comedies. Again, as selected exclusively by me, 
the world's foremost authority on all matters. Number five. Number five is indeed Adam Sandler as Happy Gilmore. Terry, wait! Wait! Hold on a second, babe. Yeah. You're not going for, for good, are you, honey? You're going nowhere, Happy, and you're taking me with you. All you ever talk about is being a pro hockey player, but there's a problem. You're not any good. I am good. You know what? You're a lousy kindergarten teacher. I've seen those finger paintings you bring home and they suck. (laughs) That is Adam as Happy Gilmore. Happy 25th anniversary at number five. Number four. All right, I'm just going to be putting it right on the table. The top four are all from Caddyshack. (laughs) There was no way for me not to do it. I could not choose between them. In fact, putting them in an order was excruciating for me. At number four... Chevy Chase says, Ty Webb. I like you, Betty. That's Danny, sir. Danny, I'm going to give you a little advice. There's a force in the universe that makes things happen. And all you have to do is get in touch with it. Stop thinking, let things happen, and be the ball. See, his, his, his lines in that movie, I think, are less legendary than the other characters who are going to come next, but nonetheless funny. And in fact, if you play golf, a lot of the things he does are actually the funniest things in the movie, a lot of the things that he says. But I had to put them four because I just couldn't, I couldn't break them into the top three. Again, these are the top five funniest characters in golf comedies. At number three is Judge Smales, Ted Knight. It's easy to grin <laughs> when your ship comes in and you've got the stock market beat. But the man worthwhile... Is the man who can smile when his shorts are too tight in the seat. <laughs> See, that, his character in that movie is so impossibly funny. And the one part where he says to Danny, I've sentenced boys younger than you to the electric chair. I didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them. <laughs> He's, that's a brilliant character. And you should know, by the way, that Nuno put together all the drops. I don't know what they're going to be. So I'm hearing them along with you. Judge Smales, Ted Knight is three. On the list of the funniest characters ever in golf movies. Then I came down to the top two. And I'm not going to lie to you. I agonized over this. <laughs> I spent I spent a good hour last night trying to decide between these two characters. And ultimately, and I know it will be controversial, I put Carl Spackler at two. So I tell him I'm a pro, Jack. And who do you think they give me? The Dalai Lama himself. Twelfth son of the Lama. The flowing robes, the grace, bald, striking. Okay. So Bill Murray in Caddyshack, the most quoted person in that movie by far. A Cinderella boy, all that kind of stuff. You know it. And he's unbelievable in that movie. But I had to put him too. Because if you watch that movie, tell me the first time you see it that what you remember is not Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield as Al Chervik... <laughs> In Caddyshack is number one, number one on today's list of the funniest characters ever in golf movies. Hey, kid, I'm Al Chervik. I'm playing with Drew Scott today. This is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense. Oh, I can maybe have a half dozen of those Vulcan D10s and set my friend up here with the whole schmear. You know, clubs, bags, shoes, gloves, shirt, pants. Hey, orange balls. I'll have a box of those. Give me a box of those naked lady tees and give me two of those. Give me six of those. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. <laughs> I, you just have to see it. But the number of times in my life I have said, 
It looks good on you, though. Or did you get a free bowl of soup with that? Puts that at number one. So at today's list of the five funniest characters in the history of golf movies in honor of the 25th anniversary of Adam Sandler's classic Happy Gilmore. Happy is fifth. Ty Webb from Caddyshack is fourth. Judge Smales from Caddyshack is third. Carl Spackler, Carl, from Caddyshack is second. And Al Chervik, Rodney Dangerfield, and Caddyshack is for... Did you detect, detect a theme there? Yeah, a lot of Caddyshack. I love the movie Caddyshack. I cannot, for the life of me, get my kids to watch it with me. I have offered to pay my son to watch that movie, and he <laughs> won't. I'll see you tomorrow, ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.